morning. How is everybody? Is everybody awake? Did all the men make it back? No. Tim asked me to preach this morning, and I'm sitting around the campfire last night, and I'm groggy, I'm tired, and I already decided I was going home, but part of me was like, well, maybe I should stay. No, I'm going to go home and get a good night's sleep. Um, but this men's retreat was really awesome. I was talking to a few guys. We got to hear people we normally don't hear. Um, Dave Bateman gave a Devo Friday night, which I love listening to Dave talk because he has a lot of insight in like 10 minutes of speaking. It's really awesome. And then for the other 20 minutes of his lesson, it's just like, what? But now he did a good job. And then we got to hear Bob Hawkins give a lesson, which was more of a testimony. It was really awesome Saturday morning. And then uh, Nick Wells, Matt Nieswag, and Billy Stegall kind of tag-teamed a lesson, and it was awesome. And Gary wrapped the whole thing up last night talking about hope. We learned about holding on. Nick and Matt and Billy's lesson really struck a chord with me because Nick talked about holding on to Christ. And then Matt was like, when you hold on to Christ, you also need to hold on to each other. And then Billy tagged on to that. When we're holding on to Christ and we're holding on to each other, we need to let go of the plank in our own eye. And it was really a powerful lesson. You can talk to some of the other guys here. They can give you more details on it. But I had a great time this weekend. Me and Drew Law and Zach Kimball and Dan Kincaid shared a cabin that shared a door with Richard Harder, Matt Gill, and Kevin Groves. And it was cool because we just left the door open and people kept going in and out. Um, We had a really good time. Today we're starting a new sermon series uh, since it is the month of November. What do we all think about Black Friday, you're right, Christmas, Thanksgiving, you're right, and Tim is going to be looking at meals in Scripture. Um, He's titled the sermon series, The Message in the Meal, and we're going to look at different meals. What I'm going to talk about today is how do we prepare? How do we prepare for those meals? How do we prepare to receive that message? If you're first time here today, we have some notes in the bulletin if you want to pull those out and follow along. Starting off in uh, Luke 22, verses 7 through 8. It says, Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. You see, in the Jewish culture, in the Hebrew culture, they had these feasts that everybody would go on a pilgrimage to. They had Passover, which is what they're preparing for in this passage. They had Pentecost, and they had the Feast of Tabernacles, or the Feast of Booths, or the Feast of Weeks. And don't ask me why there's three different names, because I didn't quite understand that myself. But there's this other feast, and it was a pilgrimage event, which meant everybody went up to Jerusalem to go to these feasts. And you had to go up to Jerusalem because Jerusalem kind of sat on top of a hill. And so you were walking up to Jerusalem. Now, to prepare their hearts for what they were about to receive when they went to Jerusalem, the Israelite people would go over a few psalms. Um, Today in our scriptures, there's Psalms 120 through 134. And if you look in your Bible, there's those little subtitle headings that are all italicized, and they're called the Psalms of Ascent. You're ascending to Jerusalem. And they would go over these psalms and prepare their hearts for what was about to happen. So my question for you guys is, 
what do you do to prepare for Thanksgiving? You don't eat for days, is that what you said? <laughs> you, you, you loosen the belt, you wear the stretchy pants, um, you, you go shopping for food. Yeah, we got to hit the grocery store, and you got to go to the grocery store early because everybody's going to be at the grocery store the week of Thanksgiving, right? Um, you clean the house. Yes. <laughs> Jesse Chapel this morning said, why did my mom just send me a message for a Facebook event that says spring cleaning before Thanksgiving? She goes, wait, why isn't John on this list? <laughs> yeah, there's things we do to get ready for Thanksgiving, right? And I would deem everything that just said important, including the stretchy pants. But we prepare ourselves for Thanksgiving, but how often do we prepare ourselves to come to church on Sunday morning? And I'm not just talking get dressed. Some of us, we have to mentally prepare to be with our family on Thanksgiving, right? There's a lot of groans in this audience, right? Oh, uncle so-and-so is going to be there. Aunt so-and-so is going to talk about her cat again. Oh, we have to mentally prepare. Does somebody have an aunt that talks about a cat? <laughs> wow, that was a joke. I, did, I, I hit a nerve there. All right. Uh, but we have to prepare ourselves to be with family, right? I mean, you could have the most perfect family in the world. You still got to prepare yourself to spend time with family. But do we prepare ourselves when we come to hear God's word? Do we prepare our hearts like, much like the Israelites did when they walked up to Jerusalem? They looked, they went over God's scripture. They prepared themselves. So today, what I want to do, I want to set up this sermon series by talking about how we can prepare to receive it. Um, much like how we can prepare ourselves for Thanksgiving, we can prepare our hearts to receive God's Word. Um, and, and I think I put five ways. I did. Typo. That's supposed to be four. But uh, there are four ways that I thought of that we can prepare our hearts both for thanksgiving and receiving God's word. The first way that I thought of we can prepare is we come hungry. I come hungry. Have you ever gone to Thanksgiving? Now, it's probably like the third Thanksgiving of the day and you weren't hungry. And you sat down and somebody went, aren't you going to eat? No, I am so full. But we got turkey and we got sweet potatoes. No, I can't eat another. Is that pecan pie? <laughs> Maybe a little bit more. But I, I, I can remember times where I, went, I would go to my grandma's house and it would be like the second Thanksgiving we went to. And the first Thanksgiving, we filled up on everything because we were kids and we didn't know any better. And we got to grandma's house and she's like, you're not going to eat? No. And she was almost offended until she made a plate and set it in front of you. And you're like, well, I might as well. Because you just ate. When we approach God's word, when we approach Sunday mornings, are we coming hungry for God's word? In Job, Job chapter 23, verse 12. Job says, I have not departed from the commands of his lips. 
I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my daily bread. And in Jeremiah, Jeremiah 15, 16, says, when your words came, I ate them. They were my joy and my heart's delight. For I bear your name, Lord God Almighty. These scriptures point out a desire for God's word. When you approach God's scripture, do you approach it as something you have to do? Have to read? Or something you want to do? You want to read? I've been guilty of this this week. That I was approaching God's scripture as a chore. Something that I had to do. Um, and, and it hit me this morning. Uh, I got on, got up. I woke up, looked at the alarm clock. It said almost 7 o'clock. I was, ah, i got to get ready. And I picked up my phone and it said almost 6 o'clock because we forgot to change, I forgot to change the alarm. Oh, okay. I'm awake now. So I just went out in the living room, was going to have my quiet time, and I opened up Version. And Version has the thing now to where it has a streak. You have a streak going. And I opened it up and it said, your first day of your streak. And I went, What? I was on like 18, and then it hit me. I was more worried about this streak that I had going on in version than I was about what I was reading. Now, I've been reading, and I've been getting stuff out of it, but then when I saw that, it wasn't like, oh, well, I didn't have signal out at Carlisle Lake. That's why it ended my streak. It was like, what? My streak was important. I am guilty of this. Are, are, are you guys coming on Sunday mornings because you're hungry? Or because it's what you're supposed to do on Sunday mornings. I've been guilty of that too. I come on Sunday mornings every once in a while because it's what I'm supposed to do. That's an issue in my heart. I've got to prepare my heart. Prepare my heart to receive God's Word. Both at home every morning when I'm in God's Word. And on Sunday mornings when I'm coming here. On Thursday nights when we're getting ready for cross chat. On Wednesday nights when I'm getting ready for small group. I need to prepare my heart. How many of you have ever shown up to a small group or a church service and you're mad at whoever you're mad at, wife, kids, dog, whatever it is, and you don't hear the sermon? You don't hear the worship. You don't hear the scripture because your heart's not ready. Dietitians will tell you that starving yourself is not a healthy way to diet. Um, I've tried diets. I, I did the Atkins diet for a while. Um, you can't tell now. Uh, but it worked. It worked great. I lost uh, 20 pounds in the first month, and I lost another 40 pounds over a couple more months. It worked great. And then I went to the doctor, and the doctor's like, Atkins diet is not good for people who have diabetes in their family. It will adversely affect your blood sugar and all this other stuff. Don't do it anymore. I was like, all right, so I'll stop. And I gained... 60 pounds, 70 pounds, yeah, back. Um, I have this willpower issue when it comes to food. I like the seafood diet. I see food, I eat it. Um, that's something else I need to work on. Uh, but starving myself would not be good because then my body's not getting the nutrition it needs anyway. And other things would start going wrong. Um, hair loss. Uh, all, there, there's just so much that goes wrong when you starve yourself. So we eat, right? We eat food so our body stays healthy. Why do we expect something different spiritually? God gives us spiritual food, but we're not eating it 
but we're expecting ourselves to be spiritually healthy. Like Job and Jeremiah says, I desire your word. We need to work on ourselves so that we come hungry so that God can fill us up. After each point, I have a question for you guys. The question after I come hungry is, how can I develop my appetite for God's word? I don't have a a one, two, three step process for you right now. Because every person is going to be a little bit different. I know there's been young men in the youth group that I've worked with. When they say, I, I just forget to read God's Word. And I say, did you forget to play your Xbox today? No. So I give them a pack of post-it notes. Because this is what worked for me. Um, whatever you put before God, put a post-it note on it. You don't even have to write on the post-it note. You can just put a post-it note. You know what that post-it note means. And if you walk up to that thing, you see the post-it note, and you're like, oh... I want to develop my appetite for God's Word. Now, no high school boy has ever said it that way. But uh, that's what they're thinking. That's what the intent is. I'm going to go read before I play this. Maybe for me it's on the refrigerator door. On the oven. But those are things that you can do. There's, there's steps. And I would encourage you to talk to your small group leader or somebody who's mentoring you. What can I do to develop my appetite for God's Word? The second thing we can do to prepare ourselves uh, for Thanksgiving, for the message, is I can chip in. In Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, we know this scripture. We read it a lot. And every time we read it, we always say, well, we know it, but are we doing it? It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together, and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily. And in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, It says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. There is always something to do before a meal. Right? Especially on Thanksgiving. If you're like me, um, when I cook, I astound my wife at how much of a mess I make. Now, she's not incredibly mad because she loves food. But if you are at my house and I am cooking something like big, uh, I do dishes two times before the meal's ever done cooking. Because I will, like, I will chop up chicken. Then, oh, I need a new cutting board to cut up the vegetables because you can't cut vegetables on the chicken cutting board. So I chop up the vegetables. And then I start cooking that and I start washing the dishes while it's cooking but then I realized oh I forgot to do this so I make some more mess and I'm while this is cooking and then I cook that and I wash some dishes there's always dishes to do and then when we're done eating dishes Cassie keeps saying we need a dishwasher and I'm like I don't want one it's just they'll just sit in there because I don't want to take them out just let me wash them um but there's always something to do. Like, I can think of Thanksgiving. What's there to do? I, I wrote down a bunch of stuff. You can wash the pots and pans. The turkey needs to be carved. 
The potatoes need to be stirred. The croissants need to be burned. I mean, baked. There's always something to do. Cassie used to get mad at me because on Thanksgiving, I would sit and watch football. And Cassie, we'd get home. You didn't even help. What? You didn't even offer to help. You just sat there and watched football. You're right. So I started helping. Now, now that I say this, my, our family's sitting here on Thanksgiving. You're cooking! Chip in! Which I am cooking at my, at my parents' house. My dad's, uh, on the mend. My mom's been dealing with my dad having heart issues. A bunch of you have been praying for that. I thank you. He's going back to work tomorrow. But we, thank you. We, um, we're doing Thanksgiving at my parents' house on Sunday because my sister and brother-in-law are out of town. And I told my mom, I'm cooking. Because she's got heart issues and my dad's got heart issues and my grandma's got heart issues and it's like, y'all just don't die. I'll cook. (laughs) My mom's like, well, at least let me do the turkey. I'm like, well, you put it in a pan and put it in the oven. You can do that. That's fine. But me and my sister and Cassie, we're going to do the cooking on Sunday after Thanksgiving. Um, I'm looking forward to it. But there's things to do to chip in. Did you know on Sunday mornings there are things to do here to chip in? There's, there's bulletins to, to stuff and hand out and people to say good morning to, people to hug. Um, there are kids to watch. There's coffee to pass out. Um, there's, there's all types of stuff to do. Uh, just like before small group, there's things to do before small group. There's things to do before cross chat. There are things that need help. We can chip in as God's family. We can chip in and help. And it'll prepare... I have not met somebody who was serving and they did not get filled up. Their heart did not get full. They did not, their heart was not prepared for the sermon by serving. I have not met that. It just doesn't happen unless you're being drugged by the ear and said, do this and you have to have your hand held the whole time. That's different. That's not serving. That's indentured servanthood. Um, but there are things to do. Are you just sitting back waiting for others to do them? The question I have for you here is where is God showing me that I can contribute? Contribute is kind of a four-letter word to some people. I say contribute, they hear money. I'm not just talking about money. I was a poor college student when this church reached me. I had no money. What I had was time and a car. And I went and hung out with people. Steve, I remember hanging out with you out in Godfrey. We would hang out. You tried to teach me how to play D&D. And we were there all night. And I just made my character. And I was like, well, I'm done. <laughs> but it was fun. I had a good time. I, I remember driving um, to Gary's house, like hanging out with Gary Chapel and his family. Uh, Jordan asking me if I had a dollar all the time. I told Cara she needs to start, every time she sees Jordan, she needs to ask for a dollar. (laughs) I started working with junior hires, and at the time, those people were younger, and now they're not, and it makes me feel kind of old. They're out of college now. But I was working with, I was helping out with the junior high ministry. I I had a car and I had time. I could chip in. So where is God asking you to contribute? It could be money. But for the most part, I bet it's not. For the most part, I bet it's somebody needs you to listen. Somebody needs you to just be there. 
or somebody needs help pushing a broom. So where can I contribute? The third thing. I invite others to the table. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out into the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who are invited will taste, will get a taste of my banquet. That's Luke 14, 15 through 24. And the chapter before in Luke 13, 29, it says people will come from the east and the west and the north and the south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. God wants all of his children to eat with him. The kingdom of heaven is described as a banquet and a feast so many times in heaven. And I am excited about that. Because I'm, I'm not going to lie. I can cook pretty good. You can ask people. I'm, I'm decent. I bet God is the best cook of the world because he created it. And I can't wait to sit at his table and eat what he has in store for us. And he wants everyone there. Is there somebody in your life that God wants you to bring to his table? Have you ever brought somebody with you to the holidays with your family? Like, not family. You just brought somebody. Um, I had a roommate. Like, we shared a room together in college. And uh, Christmas was coming up. And we we're, me and my three roommates were talking about where we were going for Christmas, what we were going to be doing. And the guy I shared a room with was like, well, I guess I'll just order Chinese food and stay here. We're all like, what? Well, that's the only place that's going to be open on Christmas Day. That's not what we were questioning. Why aren't you going anywhere? He had a weird relationship with his family. He was at that point estranged from his family. And so um, the three of us, other roommates, were like, well, he needs to go somewhere. He can't just sit at home on Christmas. And so I called our families. I was like, can he come to Christmas? And of course they said yes. And so Christmas Eve rolls around and we are going to go stay the night at my parents' house. Um, it was actually the first time I stayed the night there after I'd moved out. And uh, me and him camped out on the couches and we had a good time. And Christmas morning rolls around and we all get up and we all start opening presents. And my mom walks up to him and goes, here. He's like, What? Well, it's Christmas morning. Everybody needs a present. He ended up getting like four presents on Christmas morning. And they only had a few days notice. And he was just blown away that he had Christmas presents. So 
We did what everybody does, play, for your to- play with your toys for five minutes and then get bored. And uh, we ate lunch or breakfast or whatever it was, and we got ready to go over to Cassie's parents' house because we weren't married yet. And, and we get there, and uh, we're all sitting there opening up presents, and then they come up and like, here. And he hand him a present. And he's like, what? Everybody needs a present on Christmas. That felt awesome. To see our family do that, and I knew they were going to, but that just felt awesome. And then to hear him talk about it later, felt awesome. Can I tell you, bringing somebody to God's table feels more awesome? When, when you show somebody God's table and you walk them up and they become a Christian, there's a feeling inside of you I can't describe. Because you know this person has met Christ and now they're going to be a part of His family. God's table is for everyone and He wants everybody there. So my question for you, whom has God placed in my life that needs a seat at His table? Because I would wager there's at least one person in everybody's lives here that God wants you to bring to His table. It may not happen today. It may not happen tomorrow. It's going to take work. But that's the person God wants you to bring. Last point. Fourth thing. I remember that everyone at his table is his family. I remember that everyone at his table is his family. In Revelation chapter 19, it says, The angel said to me, Write this Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the, wor- the true words of God. Have you ever been to a wedding and at the reception there was like a group of people who weren't treated like family? And they were kind of like, didn't mingle, they were off to the side, it was kind of awkward. Can I tell you, at this wedding supper, everybody is family. There's no awkwardness. There's everybody's mingling and having a good time. And it's awesome. And then I also told you earlier that I caught myself in my quiet times, that I was becoming more of a chore. Well, this morning, as I'm like catching myself and really reading, God showed me this. It's not in your notes, but it's in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 20. And Paul's writing, and he says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as a chief cornerstone. We are God's household. We are God's family. And everyone at his table is family. Now, there's a few rules in our house when it comes to dinner time. Um, And we've learned them from people that have mentored us in the past. Number one, if you're in our house at dinner time, you sit with us. Uh, we don't always eat at the dinner table. Uh, in the teacher service, my oldest daughter was sitting there, and uh, I made the point that sometimes we sit in front of the TV and, and watch a movie while we eat. Those are special events. And Blythe goes, not enough. <laughs> Blythe and Cara really enjoy getting to eat in the living room and watch TV, and we don't do that very often. 
Um, but if you're at our house at dinner time, you're sitting at the table with us. Um, we have found, and, and there's research to back up all this. I don't want to get into the research, but we have found that there's a lot that happens at the dinner table. And there's a lot of really important stuff that happens at the dinner table. We talk about our day. We talk about problems we've had, how we resolve them or how we're going to resolve them. We talk about goofy stuff. And if you know me and my daughters, we're goofy. Um, but we have a good time. And our daughters know that if they have friends over, they're sitting at the table with us at dinner time. They don't have to eat. They just got to sit with us. Now, the second rule flows right out of that. If you're at my table, you're family. We have taught our daughters that. Whoever sits and eats with us is our family. Now, that has created some really awesome relationships for my daughters. Um, there was a time when I wasn't with the youth group, and uh, Alan had asked me to work with some of the young adults, and I got to spend a lot of time with Matt Nieswag. And we were looking for time to hang out, and there was one night where I was home, but I couldn't go out, and he had nothing to do because he wasn't married, and he would come over, and, and he would just hang out. Well, the rule was he had to sit with the table with us. Well, then, of course, he's going to eat. Have you seen that man? He eats. Um, it's true. Uh, but after, like, what, two weeks, you were Uncle Matt. It just, it just happened. Uh, Melissa Landon, at the time, um, would come over and hang out with Cassie. And she would sit at the table. And she became one of Blythe and Kara's favorite people. And she was, Melissa! Now, she, the girls have a few Melissa's, but she was Melissa. And, and she would hang out with us. Well, then Melissa started dating Michael. And the girls got to meet Michael. And Kara found a soulmate in Michael. And <laughs> he quickly became... Everybody calls him Michael. Except Kara. Kara calls him Uncle Mike. And he's okay with that. Nobody else is allowed to call him Mike, by the way. But uh, he became Uncle Michael to Blythe and Uncle Mike to Cara, which I still find really funny. And, and that was because of Melissa. There's, there's more people in our lives that are now pseudo-aunt and uncles because they've ate at our table with our daughters. Our table is a holy place. And we are teaching our daughters that it's a holy place. If my table is a holy place and creates family like that, how much more is God's table? How much more powerful is God's table? Thursday was really cool. Um, Caden needed a ride for cross chat. So uh, I was like, I'm picking up the girls and I'm making dinner, but Cassie can probably pick you up after a doctor's appointment. So Cassie gets him. And then Jordan and Trey were in tow. So we had these three boys come over. And I had this itty-bitty lasagna. <laughs> and they walked in. I was like, I need to make garlic bread too. Um, and we, we, they, and me, I, I'm not going to lie, I smashed too. They smashed this lasagna. Like there was a noodle, like a piece of a noodle left in the bowl. And I don't remember which guy it was. was like, y'all going to eat that? And I think it was Jordan. I think Jordan grabbed his fork and was like, oh, <laughs> done. Made for cleaning the bowl really easy. Um, and we had no garlic bread left over. I was amazed. 
uh, but it was, it was really cool because Trey and Jordan haven't eaten at our table before. But the girls fought over who they got to sit by. Like, one of them was like, I'm sitting by Caden. And the other's like, I want to sit between Jordan and Trey. Well, I want to sit by Jordan too. So it was like, Trey, Blythe, Caden, Kara, Jordan, and then me and Cassie were chopped liver. But, but it's really cool that we have this idea at our dining room table that you are family if you're sitting at my table. And I hope I've made this point that God wants everybody at his table and everybody at his table is family. So, Jesus ate with a bunch of people in Scripture, right? Can you think of some people he ate with? I made a little list. He ate with tax collectors and Pharisees and disciples and friends and prostitutes, sinners. He ate at parties and he had quiet meals. Do you know, in his culture, the people you ate with reflected on your societal status? I was trying to think about how that works in our world, and immediately I thought of high school. Do you remember who you ate with at high school? And was it a big deal if you ate with somebody else? Jesus didn't care. Everybody was welcome. The question I have for you guys, have I taken my seat at his table? I know not everybody here even considers themselves a Christian. There's a seat waiting for you at his table. You just have to accept to be accept him, be part of his family by being baptized. Washed in his blood. Your sins washed away. Salvation comes. Eternal life comes. The resurrection comes. And you're going to be a part of it. In Matthew five. Verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. If you're somebody here who isn't a part of God's family, but you desire a seat at His table, talk to somebody. Ask somebody, how do I get my seat at His table? What is Mike talking about when he says being baptized for the forgiveness of my sins? How do I get that? And then you can help bring them to God's table. We're about to take communion. We're coming to His table. You see, Christ lived a perfect life. He didn't have to sacrifice the Passover lamb. Because He was the Passover lamb. And we're about to take these emblems that represent His body and His blood that He sacrificed for us so that we can have a seat at God's table. We're going to sing a song. Let's give you time to prepare your heart as the emblems are passed. 
When that's done, the guys are going to come around and they're going to pass the plate. If you're a guest here, don't put money in it. We didn't ask you to come here to get money, get something from me. We want to give to you. But there is a communication card in your bulletin. If you have a prayer request, don't hesitate to fill it out. Put that in the offering plate. I hope you guys have a blessed day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You so much for Your Son coming to this world to give us a chance to sit at Your table. I pray that if somebody here doesn't have a seat at Your table, that they have the courage to talk to somebody here who does so they can understand how. I want to thank You again for Your Son and His sacrifice that we can celebrate now through communion. Please help us to focus on You this week and not to forget what you've done for us. We love you, Father. It's in your name I pray. Amen.